Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. A very busy Tuesday here in Washington, D.C. Still a fallout from the revelation that now the Energy Department, along with the FBI and other intel community components, believe that the COVID-19 virus most likely came from a lab leak in Wuhan, something that was originally parodied and branded as disinformation and conspiracy theory, now turning out to be much, much truer than we ever knew. And again, we may not know the exact cause, but the fact that it's a relevant theory and has still been eschewed for so long by the establishment, particularly the media, is something worth examining. But today, all eyes are on the Supreme Court, where the beginning of two days of arguments are focused on whether Joe Biden had the legal authority, the constitutional authority, to grant forgiveness to $400 billion plus of student loans. And a lot of people beginning to look at this and the early questioning, lots of skepticism, lots of skepticism about the illegal authority here, starting right with the Chief Justice John Roberts, who said, there's so much money, you think maybe the Congress should have been involved in improving it since appropriations authority was given to the Congress. Lots of other tough questions. The Biden administration faced a very difficult questions from these conservative justices, particularly a lot of questions. And here's the reason why. It's only been a little less than a year since the Supreme Court told President Biden and all presidents, future and past, that the president can't make up law when Congress doesn't pass it. They can't approve an appropriation that wasn't actually vetted by Congress. That came in a case known as West Virginia versus EPA, which involved the EPA's creation of authority to regulate coal power plants that Congress never gave it. Well, Congress never gave a president the authority to cancel student loan debt. I think the skepticism of President Biden and his action on this more pronounced because the court just last year told this president and every future past president that you can't You can't make law where there is no proclamation of Congress. Presidents enforce law. Congress makes law. I think that is contributing to this. But we've got a perfect guest to have a conversation about this. Joining us at the top of the show, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican senator from the great state of Tennessee. She, of course, uh, is led a group of 40 senators all Republicans, in filing a friend of the court brief in this student loan case saying, we are members of Congress. We know the intent of Congress. President Joe Biden was never given 
the authority, or nor did we ever intend to give him the authority to cancel student loan debts. And so the senator will be here to handicap the early arguments, but some fascinating give and take in the early questioning, particularly as it relates to Chief Justice John Roberts and to other judges on the court, including Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who also had some doubts and some hard questions. After that, we're going to take a commercial break. We're going to give you a preview of the Conservative Political Action Conference, the largest conservative event of the year. It's returning to Washington after a few-year hiatus related to COVID. It's back at the Gaylord National Harbor in Matchlap, the head of the American Conservative Union and the de facto head of CPAC. He's going to give us an overview of what's at stake. He had a great conversation with Amanda Head and I last night. We're going to give you that. And then we're going to wrap up today with a little discussion about the state of the news media and how much over the years the news media has gotten right or wrong. A lot of concern, not only over the reporting on the lab leak theory or Hunter Biden. There's so many examples where the news media has been proven to have assertively told us something was true when in fact it was not true or was certainly in doubt. And again, we don't have an absolute conclusion that the lab leak occurred, but we certainly know it's one of the more viable theories that the intelligence community, including two of our prestigious national labs, holds. And yet the media told us we weren't around to even mention it. It was disinformation. We got to get over that syndrome. And the final block, we'll talk to my colleague, Nick Jeevis here at Justin News, who's been looking at some of the media missteps over the years and has a lot to say on it. All right, folks, let's go right to a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, Senator Marsha Blackburn for the great state of Tennessee on China student loan cancellation, Pete Buttigieg's job, and so much more. We'll have that right after this commercial break. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook a, a vegetable dinners and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money-back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order, plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As we said at the top of the show, a very important case pending before the Supreme Court. Oral arguments today and tomorrow in the question of whether Joe Biden had the authority to forgive all of those billions of dollars of student loans. Justices seem pretty skeptical. A lot of conversation about this today. Well, our first guest today, she is right in front and center of that case. She's one of the signatories on a friend of the court brief. She is the great senator from the state of Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn. Senator, great to have you back on the show. And I am delighted to join you. Thank you so much. Such an important case, your voice so prominent in this, 40 members of the Senate, all with the same voice, which is the Congress never gave this authority to the president. The president can't exercise authority. What's your take on the Supreme Court case as it stands right now? Yes. Well, I did have 40 um, of our, our colleagues join me on this. And what we are doing is... Um, pushing to make certain that the court remembers that there is a separation of powers and the executive branch does not have the authority to move forward in this manner. And uh, we are hopeful that the court will look at this and say, no, the executive branch does not have that authority to, first of all, appropriate those funds and then designate these funds in that manner. So the separation of power uh, is the bigger overriding argument on this, John. And then one of the other things is when you look at the way this money is being distributed, it's a $426 billion cost, which is astronomical. Now, Fewer than 15% of uh, Americans hold student loan debt. And out of that number, 40% of those loans are held by high-income earners, people with advanced degrees, PhDs, doctors, uh, different physicians, um, and then you lawyers, uh, 10% of that is held by individuals that are lower income earners. So this really is what you would call a gift to the rich. So looking at that, you then get into the appropriateness of the president uh, taking the authority to uh, appropriate that money when he does not have that authority. That authority rests with Congress and then the way they are using those funds. There's a great moment when the arguments start. Chief Justice Roberts is pretty clear and says, if you're talking about this in the abstract, I think the most casual observer would say, if you're going to give up that much money, if you're going to affect the obligations of that many Americans on a subject of that's of great controversy, you would think that's something for Congress to act on. A lot of skepticism among the justices in the early questioning, very much aligned with the arguments you made in your friend of the court brief. What is your take, given what we saw in the case of West Virginia versus EPA, where the court was adamant the president can't be exercising authority he doesn't have. Do you feel confident the court's going to turn this down? 
Yes, and when you look at the pattern that came out of West Virginia versus EPA, which really was a groundbreaking course and did, uh, decision and did not get as much attention as I thought it would, but that exercised regulatory restraint for the executive branch and turned that back to the legislative branch. And if they follow that same pattern, they will disallow uh, this exercise of appropriation by the executive branch and return that power, what that Article I power and responsibility back to Congress. So that is what I'm hopeful for. Our amicus brief, which if you're if your podcast listeners want to um, join us in reading that, they can go to my website and they'll find that amicus brief on that website. We have it posted prominently on our site today because it was one of the most important documents in this argument. A lot of people talking about it. And I think the justices, at least the early questioning seems to track right along the arguments of separation of powers that you made. Not surprisingly, I was thinking of you yesterday a lot because two things happened and both of them, I think a tip of the hat to your extraordinary work on China and the threat from China. Finally, the White House told federal employees, get TikTok off of your federal devices. I think that's a good thing. And of course, over the weekend, we heard the Energy Department weigh in with what so many people now have agreed is true, that the most likely scenario for COVID-19's emergence is a lab leak from a project at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Two issues you've led on from the very beginning. Your thoughts now that the rest of the country and the rest of Washington is coming around to your way of thinking. Well, and when it comes to the lab leak, of course, those of us who suggested it may have come from the lab, there was, I, I chuckled when John Kirby said there was no intelligence consensus around uh, the lab leak theory because I thought, you know, there's been common sense consensus around this from day one because they were doing coronavirus research in that lab. Uh, they were working on gain-of-function research, and they were working on biological weapons research. And then, whether it was intentional or not, uh, there was the leak, and you had the individuals, the three individuals who lost their lives, who were hospitalized and were sending out warnings about what was happening there, and the government, Chinese government tried to shut them up. I think also that what we are seeing through this, it's time for a revisit into some of those classified documents that where our diplomatic scientists were warning about what was happening at the Wuhan lab. And it's time for a revisit with Dr. Fauci and NIAID and the NIH and the participation they had with the EcoHealth Alliance and others that were involved in this. And also, did they profit? We have not been able to look at those um, financial, those annual financial disclosures, and people are wanting to see what was, um, what could possibly have been the ties in, in that regard. We have to remember over a million Americans lost their lives and many millions of families lost loved ones, lost uh, their livelihoods, have children that were adversely 
impacted because of lockdowns, young people that are suffering from myocarditis, our citizens who are suffering from lung COVID, and people are saying we want the facts and we want the truth. That's all people want, just the facts. And so much suppression of that was going on. It's sort of funny. We were told the Hunter Biden laugh. That wasn't true. Of course, that was true. We told Big Tap censorship didn't occur. Now we know that's true. Now we were told COVID lab leak didn't occur. Of course, now there's a growing consensus. That's the case. The combination of the establishment in Washington with the media keep imposing these stories and they go into reversal. Is it beginning to have an effect on the general populace that not to trust what we used to, you know, we used to always trust the media. We always used to trust our government. It seems like we're losing trust over these false stories. And John, I, I've got to tell you, one of the things, especially when it comes to China, it is the China spy balloon was kind of the tipping point for people because people said, you know, you might be right. There's a no limit to what the Chinese Communist Party is going to do. And you talk about TikTok and now uh, since the EU has said you can't have TikTok on a government phone, and so the U.S. now finally is saying no to TikTok, uh, people are seeing children and loved ones and people they know die from fentanyl poisoning that is coming out of China. And Joe Biden could do something about that today. He could go tell China, you tell us the truth on COVID and you stop shipping this fentanyl in here or we're going to cut off trade. We don't have a fentanyl problem in so many other countries, but China is shipping that in through these cartels and it's coming across the southern border. And something needs to be done about that. And people are looking at what China has done with stealing our intellectual property. They are looking at what they're doing trying to buy our farmland. They're looking at what they're doing through soft propaganda in Confucius Institutes and how they're carrying out a genocide on their own people, the Uyghur Muslims, and how they, they're persecuting the Tibetans and the Mongolians and the Hong Kong freedom fighters and the way they're bullying Taiwan and the Philippines. And people are going, hey, wait a minute, this is bad news and they look at China cozying up with Russia when it comes to the war in Ukraine and uh, how they're using Iran and North Korea to build this axis of evil. And it makes people very concerned about what we as Americans do to preserve our freedom and our liberties and to protect our sovereignty. Yeah, such an important conversation. Another area that's affected by the border, exploitation of children. You have a bipartisan piece of legislation with Senator John Ossoff getting a lot of applause, cracking down on social media companies. They can do more to protect children. A lot of praise for you and Senator Ossoff for offering this legislation. Tell us what it does. Yes, what we are doing is extending the period of time that law enforcement will hold information on these bad actors in the virtual space. And we're working with NICMIC, which is who gathers this information. And there again, as you said, this is to protect kids and to make certain that these bad actors are apprehended. What we have learned is with the social media platforms like Snap and TikTok and Instagram. Many of the predators, whether they're sex traffickers, gangs, um, human traffickers, drug traffickers, they are 
posing as friends of children on the social media platforms, and then they come into contact with these children. These are how the kids get um, drugs that are laced with fentanyl. These are kids that are not drug addicted. They think they're going to take a Percocet or uh, something, and uh, they take that pill, and that pill is laced with fentanyl, and they die. And um, these kids that get picked up and put into a gang or a sex trafficking ring, and they are not found, or they have a body that is found some months later. So we are working with Nick Mick on some necessary updates, and we hope this is going to help with keeping kids safer. Such an important mission. A lot of applause for your courageous work on this. This is an issue we can get right. This is this is something we can do. It's not hard to do. Senator, I want to ask about this. One of the areas that we've always sort of assumed was free of politics were economic numbers. That's always sort of been above politics. We need a good accounting of our economy so we can make good decisions policy-wise, business-wise. But there was a significant correction in the last few days, both of the growth of the economy came down two-tenths of a point from what it was originally announced to be, and inflation adjusted quite a bit upward. Both were opposite of the rosy language of what the president gave us when those numbers came out just a month ago. Any concerns that maybe the data has been manipulated, there's politics getting involved in just the, the old-fashioned reporting of the state of our economy? And uh, you would have to... Um... You know, you look at all this other stuff that they have created, the great COVID cover-up and the Hunter Biden cover-up and the censorship cover-up, and then you say, hey, wait a minute, Uh, because this is an area where common sense, the common sense consensus has been. They want to tell me inflation is 6.2 or 6.5 or 6.6, and when I look at the basket of goods that I purchased by going to the grocery store, and food costs are up almost 15%. The cost of gasoline for your car is up 33%. Diesel is up over 50%. Home heating fuels are up oh over 30%. And people are going, hey, wait a minute. That's not 6% inflation. You know, and they're feeling it. Have you bought a carton of eggs lately? And, uh, you know, a bag of lettuce and some tomatoes and people are going, my goodness, look at what is happening with these prices. Things that they consider to be basics are now basically luxuries when they go to the grocery store. So I think most people would look at this and say, yeah, we told you so. Just like they've looked at COVID, just like Hunter's laptop and said, yeah, we told you so. And uh, common sense does not exist. And the way this administration tries to collude with social media and with big media and to change the language and to change what words mean and to um, cover up what they are doing. This is something that I think should make everyone uncomfortable. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Last question for you, I know how busy you are. We found our transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg. He's going to the Clinton Global Health Initiative, going to hang out with elitists in Nashville, not doing much in East Palestine today. I know you're a lot of frustrated with his response. Seems to be some early investigations of his conduct now. Is he the right guy for the job? 
Oh, I, I didn't think he should have the job in the first place. Running the U.S. Department of Transportation requires having someone who has a, a broad understanding of all the transportation sectors in this country, someone who understands supply chains and the movement of supply chains and is given to making certain that uh, we continue with our ports open, with our rails maintained and running, uh, with our airline, our FAA, properly working because you've got people and you've got goods. Whether you're on roads or rail or in the air or on the water, and people want to make certain that there is an ease of transportation and that there is consistency in supply chains. And he has proven that he does not understand that. As a small-town mayor who is primarily dealing with potholes and a road department and trying to get grants to four-lane highway to an interstate, uh, those are issues that are very different from managing the nation's multifaceted, multimodal transportation systems. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. It's pretty remarkable. Senator, it is such an honor to have you on. We always get straight talk. We get lots of news. And of course, we're reminded how often your leadership has changed things in this country, particularly related to China. Great honor to have you on today. Good to be with you. Thank you. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to have a great conversation that Amanda Nahed and I had with Matt Schlapp, the head of the American Conservative Union, the head of the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, which opens Wednesday night here in Washington. What is on conservatives' minds? What is the purpose? What is the goal? What is the message of CPAC this year? I have a funny feeling some of it has to do with holding conservatives' feet to the fire to make sure they deliver what they're supposed to deliver. We'll ask Matt about that right after the commercial break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Matt Schlapp, the head of the American Conservative Union. Matt, great to have you on the show. Great to be with you guys again, and it's a big week. It is a powerhouse lineup that you got. I want to turn to that in just a second. But first, Pete Buttigieg, uh, private jets, not so much about climate change when it's convenience for him. Do the Democrats have a little bit of elitism problem right now? Yeah, you know, the other thing they have is a confidence problem. Remember when during the Obama administration, there was that terrible oil leak uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, and they just couldn't yeah. seem to figure out how to get on top of it. What, what you realize about these socialists is they're great about talking about their compassion and care for the environment, but they're really bad at managing any problems associated with it and trying to get the best technology to fix it. 
and that uh, and that spill in Ohio is a perfect example of it. The other thing that's amazing is they're so good at lecturing us about how they feel our pain and about how they care about the little guy. But you notice when the little guy is in a real stressful situation, they're nowhere to be found. They're completely AWOL. President Biden's in Ukraine. Uh, Buttigieg is walking the streets of D.C. instead of walking the streets of Palestine. So uh, this is the this is what we got. It's a lot of talk and it's no action. And I think a lot of Americans are figuring that out. Yeah. Maybe if he'd routed those flights uh, to East Palestine, then he'd yeah. be getting a lot less heat from a lot of directions. But Matt, <laughs> all right. The big week is here. Uh, practically in just a few days, we're going to be heading over to set up there at CPAC. You have an all-star lineup literally every single day. And of course, at the end, President Trump coming to speak. Give everybody a rundown of what they can expect this time around. Yeah, well, we released our schedule today. So you can go to CPAC.org and Find out everyone who's speaking. It's so many good people. It's like over 30 members of Congress. It's over 150 speakers that it's really hard for me to memorize. I know, John, uh, you're partaking in a very important conversation on the stage. I know both of you are going to help headline the Reagan dinner on Friday night. But it's a it's a who's who of who you want to speak to. You know, we're going to start the conference with Jim Jordan and we're going to hear from James Comer. I think the two most important people in the House of Representatives, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, committee in Jordan's case and chairman of the oversight committee, which John understands has subpoena power. James Comer can subpoena really anybody he wants. And he intends, I think, to make some news at CPAC and to, to make some news uh, with his chairmanship. And of course, we're here from many of the 20 who got these reforms in the House of Representatives are going to help save this country. Yeah, that's going to be a fun conversation. It has been a fun couple of months for conservatives in Washington. You're really seeing progress. I know one of the things that CPAC always does so well, and I've watched it over the years, it's not only to show us what's wrong with the Democratic Party and liberals, but also to make sure that the grassroots are behind Republicans so they have the muscle to get the things done that they were sent to Washington. How important is that this year with so many potential things coming up, including the debt ceiling? Well, I think there's not just public policy concerns, which you're right, John, which is sitting around about things isn't going to get anything accomplished. We all know what the problems are. We don't have to like circle the drain with them. What we have to do is identify the strategies that can get us out of these problems. But what I'm also very appreciative of is that we're going to show private sector free market solutions to a lot of the cancel culture that we have in society. We're going to have people on the stage, entrepreneurs that have really tested solutions to these problems. We've been talking about it for a number of years since woke got started and cancel culture got started and attempted to destroy every good thing about this country. And now we're starting to have real solutions. So uh, if you come to CPAC or just watch it online, remember, all the content is available online. You can go to our website and other websites as well. And uh, you're going to hear about solutions. But what you're mostly going to hear about is the fact that there's not a lot of time to make wholesale changes in how the Republican Party operates, how we as activists operate. And, uh, and I, I, I love the word conservatism, but it's bigger than that. It's just about saving America. It's about loving America and defending her. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the timing is absolutely critical. I wanted to ask you, though, I mean, there are people who are speaking at CPAC, who are coming to CPAC, who five years ago you would have never expected to see Tulsi mm. Gabbard, a host from Showtime, coming yeah. to CPAC. What does it say about CPAC, but also the conservative movement in general about the appeal? Uh, you know, we're the tolerant ones. We are listen to people. Jennifer Palmieri from the show The Circus is going to be at CPAC. And I know people don't agree with her politics, but She's going to ask Rick Grinnell some questions, and my guess is they're going to have some commonality about not wanting to engage in every aspect of the globe and be interventionists. And uh, 
but they're going to have that conversation. And our people can handle that. Uh, we can be tolerant. Uh, it's the other side now that is the intolerant one that can't handle any word that isn't perfectly politically correct out of their constantly changing handbook of how you describe things. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have to have kittens and crayons to handle any kind of controversies. <laughs> Our people just aren't like that. And Tulsi Gabbard, you know, she headlined the Reagan dinner a couple CPACs ago, and it was controversial. But um, I think that was the right move for CPAC to kind of be her first speech yeah. as a non-Democrat. And she's uh, on this path of rethinking some of these issues, and she's coming the right way. And I'm really glad she's coming back. Yeah, that, that speech that she gave last February down in Orlando, one of the yeah. best offenses of free speech I've ever seen given by yes. anyone yeah. in my lifetime. That was an amazing moment, Matt. And you deserve a lot of credit because you really do put a lot of different ingredients into this. It isn't just a predictable conference. There's always the unexpected. There's a lot of, of thought. There's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of energy. Grassroots are going to be so important to the next 48 uh, months of history here, the next election and what comes after it. Uh, where is the conservative grassroots right now? Where do you think they come uh, out of the 2022 election? Uh, you know, I think they want it's two. It's about two things, John. It's about the Republicans in the House offering hope that getting the majority can make a difference. So actually fighting on spending and fighting on some policy goals like closing this border with Biden. If we come out of all those negotiations with nothing, I think it'll be destructive towards our ability to build a coalition together for 2024. But if they do the right things and if they inspire hope by changing their tactics and getting something uh, in this mess that we call the swamp, I think we have a great chance in 2024 to take back the White House, which, as you know, unfortunately, has become the epicenter of everything. The White House holds all the power, almost all the power. If you don't if you don't have it, you can't get anything done. We need to get that place back. Matter of fact, I'm not so sure we ever lost it, but we can get into that discussion another day. <laughs> yeah, we only have a few minutes left, so we don't have time to get into all of those issues. But I wanted to ask you, speaking of the primary, you've got all three declared candidates. You've got yes. tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley, and, of course, President Trump. We've all seen the polling leading up to now. Do you expect their speeches and their appearance at CPAC to adjust the needle a little bit for any of them? I do. I do. Look, that's why going to CPAC is so important. If you want to run for president, you should come to CPAC because you're not just speaking before the thousands of activists that are assembled before you, but you're to the millions that are tuning in uh, on, you know, through broadcast television, cable television and online. And uh, you get a real chance to make your pitch. And this early pitch is important. This CPAC straw poll result will be important. Uh, if President comes out, President Trump comes out with a big win. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, a big push in his desire to be renominated. But these other guys have a chance. Look, Nikki Haley's talking about a new generation of leadership. I think uh, Vivek is doing that as well. Um, they're, you know, they're using that "I'm a little bit younger" card. I'm not so sure that works with Republicans, but we're going to find out if that works. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the the, the, the reemergence of neoconservatism, which I thought. We had put a, a, a stake through that heart, but it seems to be coming back. I think Nikki Haley's grabbing onto this idea that America alone must lead uh, around the world when it comes to, you know, taking on Putin and stuff. And we're going to ask those questions in the straw poll. Where are conservatives on those questions? Are they America first or is there kind of like a, uh, a little bit of bringing back Bush Cheney with America first? We're going to see what they think. I can predict where I think they are, but we're going to find out. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Got one more block. Nick Jeeves, great reporter here at Just the News, joins me to talk about media fails right after this.
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. You see his byline every day here at Just the News doing some great reporting for us. He's always getting us the truth and getting us through all the spin and sometimes the outright false stories that we get out of Washington officially. He is Nick Davis, and we're so glad to have him as one of our great reporters here. And he joins us right now. Nick, welcome back to the show. John, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I love the conversation you've been having the last couple of days. We've had so many instances in the last six years where the media assured us demanded that we believe them when it came to the Hunter Biden laptop, Russia collusion, Russian bounties on American soldiers' head. All those weren't true. And yet another one took a big beating this weekend for months. Anyone who dared whisper the idea that maybe the COVID-19 virus leaked from a Chinese lab was called a misinformation artist, a conspiratorial theorist. But now the Energy Department has joined what we already know the FBI and the rest of the intelligence community believes that the most likely origin of the COVID-19 virus was a lab leak from Wuhan. Fact checkers like Glenn Kessler at the Washington Post, major media figures all beat the living stuffings out of anyone who dare raise this question. Is there going to be any accountability for him? Well, it, it remains to be seen. It's sad to see that such a huge issue that affected the entire world shut it down, in essence, is being ignored, even in the face of overwhelming evidence. It seems that when that happens, when we get close to getting answers, we get close to accountability. The word racist popped up when people would speak of a Wuhan lab leak. It was anything they could throw at it to keep it from being discussed. Even Senator Tom Cotton was compared by one reporter to being a Soviet propagandist uh, trying to convince people the CIA had invented AIDS. That's how they compared his asking, was this a lab leak? So I don't know. It's, it's going to be up in the air. People, lawmakers especially, need to step up, use that subpoena power, and start to put people under oath and have consequences for the lies. Because as of right now, it seems like the truth is whatever they want it to be. Yeah. Tom Cotton responded today and remembered what an Applebaum, former Washington Post editorial page player, currently, I think, an advisor to one of the disinformation networks that have been generating a lot of controversy. He said the media originally labeled anyone who questioned China's official COVID narrative as xenophobic, a conspiracy theorist and more. They never did apologize for covering up for China. Worse yet. They're still doing it. He calls out a lot of the media today. He was one of those who were really targeted. I think there was a revolt at the New York Times over one of his op-eds. And it turns out history has been more factually on his side than those who 
tried to silence him. When you look out, there's been some extraordinary moments on the media landscape. Jeff Gerth recently wrote an extraordinary 30,000-word article in the Columbia Journalism Review that really is well done and really documents the failures in Russia collusion. You've had the reversal of the Hunter Biden laptop. So many stories that were deemed to be misinformation, disinformation, or conspiracy theories have come true. Do you get any sense there are people in the news media with some reflective thoughts that maybe we we ought to slow down, calm down, not jump on the first train that hands us something, any sense of a point of inflection for our industry? I would like to say yes, but I'm going to have to say it's the 80-20 rule, maybe even now the new 90-10 rule, where one in 10, one in five may look and say, yes, this was wrong. But as you mentioned, all they had to do was throw the word disinformation out there, and that ended the debate in the media's mind. I remember I was a media reporter before I joined you here at Just the News. I'd get up every day at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., and I'd cover cable news. And they talked about Russia for two years, not about the fentanyl crisis, not about the border crisis, not about what we're going to do with the economy, not Trump's policies, about this insane Russia collusion theory. And we have even people they supported, like Robert Mueller, coming out and saying, no, there's nothing there. And they're still talking about it. So do I think they're going to get religion on COVID and the laptop and future elections? I'm sad to say probably not. And, and hopefully that gives rise to people to start their own outlets or to start speaking out more uh, and our colleagues to speak out more because the republic can't function when the media is not telling the truth. The best opportunity is for competition. We're a free market economy. And the more we create competition, the more these stories get out, the more the traditional media gets to be judged by the facts, not by its obstinate record of spin, which has really been their record over the last several um, months. One of the things that I hear a lot of concern about, and I know you're working on something for tomorrow that all our readers will benefit from, is the economic number, something that we always kind of assumed were never going to be politically manipulated, that they would be honest answers, because in fact, we needed to make policy decisions on money, to make policy decisions on trade, to make policy decisions on inflation. And of course, businesses make the same decisions. Last week, very quietly, the Biden administration changed two numbers. It was just crowing about a month ago. They had growth at 2.9%. They downward revised to 2.7%. They had inflation slowing down. In fact, it had grown a little bit. Inflation went up. Growth went down. The rosy story really wasn't as rosy as we were told. People starting to get concerned that these numbers are coming out inaccurate and constantly being revised after the fact, right? Yes. I mean, everything else has been politicized. Why not the economic numbers, especially now with so many people afraid and worried and cash strapped, living paycheck to paycheck? And Joe Biden loves to tout that there's this amazing job growth. People have work. Well, that doesn't mean much when wages aren't keeping pace with rapidly rising inflation. That's causing panic. It's causing people to liquidate assets. It's causing them to tap 401ks, all kinds of desperate moves to keep themselves afloat. And then where are we? Then where's the country left? So, yes, I'm working on the story. These numbers look uh, to be celebrated almost by some of the outlets that covered it. It's a slowdown. Uh, you can't spin this. Like 2.7%, it was already considered uh, low at 2.9 initially, and it's even lower than that. So I'd say, yeah, this is something that's been politicized once again. No big deal. Nothing to see here. When in reality, it's affecting everyday Americans and it's affecting them to the extreme. Yeah, very important things to be keeping a watch on. This 
trend is deeply concerning and it's happened enough now. And, and you know, you're looking at an 8% change in the estimate of growth and a 15% change in the estimate on inflation. If we were that far off on any other part of our business, we'd be in real trouble. The government doesn't seem to have any consequence for being that wrong. It's starting to get like the weather, which is something we don't want to have economic indicators be as inaccurate or wild as weather. Dick, always a great honor to have you on the show. You're doing such great work for us and we'll be sure to get you back on real soon. Awesome, John. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you can join us. So grateful that you could have a conversation and listen in on all of the great interviews we get to do every day. It is a great honor to have you here. And before we go call tonight, I want to shout out one of our great sponsors because they have a mission and their their mission is to get you to pay attention to your liver just like you pay attention to your heart and your lungs and all of the other vital organs your kidneys we we're becoming more and more health conscious it's important at my age it's even more important i'm in my 50s now and you want to be watching everything but your liver has been taking care of you and it's time for you to take care of it why because the american heart association says that Those Americans who end up with a fatty liver are three and a half times more likely to have heart failure. Not one times, not two times, not three times, three and a half times more likely. If you don't take care of your liver, you're going to have downstream problems with your heart and your overall health. So, and also, here's a scary thought. The American Liver Foundation now estimates 100 million Americans have fatty liver. In other words... The risk is real high. Don't put yourself in that that category. We throw everything at our livers. Cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, statins, cigarettes. You know what? That's how they get sluggish. That's how they get fatty. That's how we end up gaining weight and losing energy. So what what do you want to do? I have the solution for you. Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the United States of America and approved by American doctors. And here's a special offer from our friends at Liver Health Formula. You can try Liver Health Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. All you got to do is go to getliverhelp.com slash just news. Let me give you that again. Getliverhelp.com slash just news. You're going to claim five free bonus gifts, including a sample of the liver health formula. Get started taking care of your liver. It's been taking care of you for a long time. Now's the time to get serious about it so you don't end up with fatty liver, heart failure, and all the other things like weight gain and other bad things that occur with it. All you got to do to get started today, go check out the special offer we have at getliverhelp.com slash justnews. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you can join. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. We'll have some more CPAC guests later in the week, some big names coming on. You won't want to miss that. But until then, if you need a news fix, you know where to go. Go to justthenews.com or go to your Just the News app, which you download from the Apple iOS or Android Google Play stores, and you'll be in business. Be sure to check that out. It is worth your while. All right, folks. God bless you. Good night. We'll be back tomorrow.